So two weeks ago on Thanksgiving Sunday, we began a homily series called The Four Movements of Christian Stewardship. And these four movements are encapsulated and embodied by Jesus in his celebration of the Eucharist, also anticipated in John 6 and other places where the feeding of the 5,000. And those four movements are as follows. Take, bless, break, and give. Take, bless, break, and give. These are the four movements of Christian stewardship given to us by Jesus. Now, why, you may be thinking, why do this now? Well, because we are entering into a season of thanksgiving, of course, that began two weeks ago with thanksgiving and celebrating the goodness of God and the harvest as we give thanks to God for all the material blessings that he has given us. And we also are entering into a season of remembrance. All saints, all souls, Remembrance Day, as we remember and give thanks for those who have sacrificed much, for those whom we miss and love, for those who we commend into God's care. So a series on stewardship seems to be, this seems to be the right liturgical time to do this. And just a reminder that when we talk about stewardship, we are not talking about just money. Money is part of stewardship, but stewardship cannot be reduced to just talk about money. It's talk about everything that God has given us, our time, our talents, our treasures. So by way of kind of reviewing where we are, because last week, uh, as I said we, um, in, our, in the words of welcome, was kind of disrupted by my illness. But I want to just kind of rebuild a bit of that momentum. So on the first Sunday, we talked about that first action, to take. And I explained that taking in this Christian context is not about taking to hoard, taking to hold back, taking because it's mine, I deserve it, I, it's owed to me. The Christian, the Christian understanding of take is unrooted in the giftedness of creation, of understanding that everything, everything on this world, everything in this world, the wholeness of creation itself is a gift given to us by a generous God, a God who loves to give, a God who gives and gives and gives and gives. So this Christian understanding that everything is a gift means that it's not owed to me. I cannot own it in the sense that it is just belongs to me, that I deserve it somehow. But all we have is a gift from God, given to us to nurture, to care, to steward, and to share. And so from this action of take and seeing the giftedness of all creation, we took some principles away from that based in the epistle reading uh, from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Susan read part of that this morning. And these principles are first that generosity, as St. Paul makes clear, is a default Christian attitude. Generosity is expected. It's expected. Now Paul says it's not about extortion, right? He's writing to the Corinthians to say, you need to help the brothers and sisters in other churches because Corinth is a fairly wealthy place. He's not saying that I'm extorting you because it's expected of you to give. The other part of this is because God is a generous God and if we are created in the image of God, 
If we are created in the image of a generous God, then part of our living out that imagehood of God is to be generous as God is generous. And how is God generous? God gives of his very self to the very point of death through Jesus Christ. But more on that in a moment. The other principle we took from this is that the more you have, the more you are expected to give. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. You see, there was a, there, I, I don't know if it's still a trend, but there was a trend on social media where people would flex their material wealth, their cars, their boats, their trips, their jewelry, whatever, and they put the hashtag blessed. Hashtag is that little number sign. But that completely misses the point, doesn't it? You're not blessed in order to show it off so you can get likes on Instagram or Facebook. You are blessed in order to bless other people. God gives to you that you may give to others. What you have been given is not yours. It is God's to be used by God's people for the blessing of others. But more on that in a moment. So if we were to understand this Christian perspective on stewardship rooted in these four Eucharistic actions, take, bless, break, and give, it means that Christians are to have what, what I could call, or what I would call, a sacramental perspective on the world. We know what the sacraments are, right? They are a visible means of invisible grace. Visible means of invisible grace. That means there is more than meets the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, there's more than just what we can measure and quantify. A sacramental view of the world is a poetic view of the world. Now you may be thinking, oh great, what does poetry have to do with this? I myself am not a big fan of poetry. Poetry is really difficult. Maybe that's just me. I have a hard time with poetry. My contribution to the poetic world, I think, was in grade 12 English where I wrote an ode to hating poetry. I thought it was pretty clever. I don't know if any copies of it exist anymore. My English teacher, I remember, was less than impressed. But there's something to good poetry, I think, that encapsulates or describes what a Christian view of the world is. Because good poetry takes words and does something with those words that are more than just mere words. And by example, I'm going to read a couple sections of poetry today, which I hope are good poetry. And good poetry is not about being immediately understood. Because remember the word sacrament is rooted in the Greek word for mystery. Not a mystery is something to be solved like in true crime stories, but a mystery that is to be pondered and contemplated. Something that draws us in, that brings us and invites us to think more deeply. So the first poem I'm going to read is a poem by Wendell Berry. He's a Kentuckian. Um, and uh, he's a farmer and a poet and, uh, and an author. And he writes this poem called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for the, with their light. 
For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. I don't know if that resonates with you or not. It does for me. It's a powerful view of the goodness of creation, of what Gerald Manley Hopkins, another poet, says, all creation is charged with the goodness of God. There's an enchantedness to the world, where their world is more than, we can ask, more than what we can taste, touch, smell, and hear. There's a contemporary uh, Irish poet who puts it this way, and then this will be the last poetry I quote. Enchanted worlds begin to disappear once you have walked outside the sacred sphere. Enchanted worlds begin to disappear once you have walked outside the sacred sphere. Our world is a world that is purely materialistic. Only things that matter are the things that we can measure, and the things that we can experience through our senses. But a sacramental, a poetic view of the world says, no. There is more, more, more. And of course, that more is the presence of God, the God that creates and holds and sustains all things. All right, so are you with me on the taking, the understanding of a sacramental way of looking at the world? So now we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do it two weeks ago. So Scott and Don, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Don't move all at once. And you may recall uh, a few weeks ago, a few, it was almost a couple months ago now, I think, right? We had a challenge where we said we were going to raise money for the food bank, and then Pleasant Ridge came in. And if we raised a certain amount of money, these gentlemen were going to have tattooed on them the logo of St. James Paris, uh, designed by uh, Heather McCrae. So what we're going to do now is the second of those Eucharistic actions. So gentlemen, please bear your arms and nothing else other than that. They have the right to bear arms. Okay, how many dad jokes can I fit in today? These tattoos symbolize your... Oh. And you may be thinking, I don't know what your feelings on tattoos are, but you may be thinking, well, tattoos, really? These are tattoos of cross. It's not of skulls and devils and other sorts of things that people might like to have tattooed. These tattoos symbolize your fidelity to Jesus Christ and his church. We ask that the blessing of these tattoos would strengthen you personally in efforts to live out your commitment to Christ and his church. A tattoo is a permanent image engraved on the skin and serves as a constant physical reminder of our new life in Christ. A constant physical reminder. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like a sacrament. So we pray together. God, bless this art. Bless the pain that earned it. Bless the skin that bears it. May the lines stay sharp, the colors true. And please, please let it place now. Let the place it now resides remain unwrinkled for many years to come. That which this ink shows of who Scott and Don are, let the world understand that that which it represents, that it may represent who you want to be and who you may grow into. In the name of God, who with his own name, tattooed on his thigh and mine on the palm of his hand, we bless these tattoos in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. 
So what did we just do? What did we just do when we blessed these tattoos? We took something, something visual, something that can be seen and in Don and Scott's case, felt, at least when the tattoo was administered, and we blessed it. But what does that mean when we blessed it? It means this. We understood that everything from God is a gift. We understand that the, uh, the gift of the artwork of the tattoo artist who made those tattoos, we accept that as a gift. We accept the gift of the design that Miss Heather made for our parish. We accept that as a gift. We accept the skill that was put into making it. We accept the willingness of Don and Scott to subject themselves to this. We bless it so that God may use it for God's purposes. That's what it means to bless. To take a gift from God, to acknowledge it as a gift, and then to put it in use for God's purposes. Who knows? I'm sure already maybe people have asked you about what is that tattoo? Perfect. It's been blessed. That is what it's going for. You may say a blessing before your meals sometimes. And that's exactly what it is. A blessing is not, oh, I hope I don't get indigestion, or maybe by praying the food will taste better somehow. No, a blessing is, God, thank you for the gift of the food that you have given us. May it nourish our bodies so that we may go to do what you have called us to do in our lives. Whether it's being at school and being a student, being an employee, an employer, a parent, a grandparent, all these things, when we ask, what we're asking for in a blessing is God, for God to use those things that we bless for God's purposes. You see, the job of the priest is to bless very specific things, oil and water, bread and wine. But that doesn't mean that I'm the only one who gets to bless. Our baptismal vocation, collectively and individual, is to bless. God has blessed us so that we may be a blessing. And we bless the world by our way of seeing the world through this sacramental, this poetic lens that reminds others that God is alive and well and reigns in this world, that God is at work, even in things that we might not expect God to be at work in, in tattoos, in strange people that we don't understand, and yes, even in me and you. God working to bring about his blessing, his wholeness, to all of creation. And so our job is to go out and bless. We take bread, we take wine that has been blessed for us by God through the priest, and then we say, now I have received the life of God in me, and I'm going to go out to perform that task which God has called me to do. And lastly, I'm kind of doing a two-for-one this week because we were supposed to talk about blessing last week and break this week, but I'm going to kind of ram them together. So I might be a little bit longer than I would on normal Sunday, but I promise you we will wrap up very shortly. To break something. We're not talking about breaking as in destruction. We're talking in breaking in the context of something that has been received as a gift and something that has been blessed. Sacrifice is what we can talk about in context of breaking. Now, our culture thinks sacrifice is a bad thing. It has negative connotations. But from a Christian perspective, sacrifice is a good thing. It's 
why we call it Good Friday. The Friday on which Jesus sacrificed himself, broke his body, poured out his blood to be a blessing to all people, to help us to see and to understand the love of God that permeates all of creation. When we break something open, we are opening it for a purpose. Think of a present and all the effort that goes into wrapping presents. Sometimes you think, my goodness, it's just going to be destroyed in two seconds. All that effort that I put into wrapping these things. But that's the point, isn't it? You wrap it so you know it's a gift. When you receive it as a gift, when you see the bow and the wrapping, you know that this is a gift. But it's not meant to be just left, as nice as the wrapping may be, it's meant to be opened. So we open it, and we take what's inside. To break something is to acknowledge it has a purpose, that there's something to do with it. It's been given to me to receive it and to use it. Think of the way we break open items of food. It's to open up the fragrance, to let the aroma come open. The way we open a can of our or a bottle of our favorite beverage. The cork goes pop, the bottle goes tsh. We smell and we taste. But we know that from a Christian perspective, as I said, there's more than we can see, taste, smell, touch. There's more. Because God is the God who creates and sustains all things and is at work in and through all things. So practically, what does this mean for us as the people who are called by God to be a blessing to others? It just means exactly that, to reflect on our own lives, to reflect on the gifts that God has given us, to think about how we can use our time, our talent, and our treasure to be a blessing, to break open ourselves that we may be people that are known for our generosity of giving. This is what Paul's letter to 2 Corinthians, the section that we've read today and on Thanksgiving and that we'll read next week. You see, Paul is reminding, as I said, the Corinthians, a very wealthy congregation, their obligation to the body of Christ, to those who are hurting financially and otherwise, those who need support. We know that Paul is on his way to Jerusalem to bring an offering because the church in Jerusalem is struggling. There's famine and persecution. Remember, Paul says, I'm not trying to extort you. But I'm reminding you that as Christians, you have a different way of looking at the material goods of the world. Because the material goods of the world are more than just matter. They can be a visible means of an invisible grace. So in conclusion, I'm going to read to you a quotation from Father Austin Ferrer, a priest from the Church of England in the 19th century. And he kind of pulls all these threads of this sacramental view of giving together. When he writes, The alms for which your generosity is asked are nothing exterior to the sacrament, but a part of it. If you were living in the days of the ancient church, you would not be bringing money, but cakes of bread and flasks of wine. All would be placed on the altar. Part would be consecrated for the Eucharist, and the remainder would be given to the sick and the poor. Now, today, you bring money, but your money is still presented along with the bread and wine, and it still means the same thing. The offering is your offering. It is you, yourselves, who are laid on the altar to be consecrated and to be made the body of Christ. 
Your gift is a token of yourself. I break the bread for the death of Christ, and we are all sacrificed to God in Christ's death, dying to him to our own will, sorry, dying in him to our own will, and receiving Christ, our true life, in communion. My friends, may you go from this place to be a blessing to others. Thanks be to God.